Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And as you can tell, Christmas is approaching. And uh, we have some books available in our resource center right out by our kids' check-in. And uh, we make these books available for you at an incredible discount. And uh, one of the books that I would suggest is called The Jesus Story Bible. This is a great book for young kids or for families to read together at story time. Great time to introduce the Bible to your kids. We are selling it for $5. However, you could buy it on Amazon for $25. And uh, we're, we're literally losing money on all these resources. And the reason we're doing that is because we want to get these into your hands as easily as possible. I will say something about this Action Bible, but we've sold all of them except for this one. So if, if you like talk to me after the service, you're first in line. That's a great Bible. It's 10 bucks. I'll stop talking about it because the first service bought all of them. So, sorry, we will get more. But uh, this is a great opportunity to be thinking about if you have kids, grandkids, what might you give them? And those are some cool things. Well, today I want to start by asking you a question. What do you do when something unexpected happens? What do you do when something unexpected happens? What do you do when, when all of your plans get thrown right out the window? Think about that for a moment. I'll tell you a little bit about me and my situation. Growing up, I was an only child, which I know explains a lot. You weren't supposed to laugh that much. I was a spoiled brat, and uh, I remember growing up, and I remember, I don't remember exactly what my bedtime was, but I remember being sent to bed as a young kid and then sneaking out of my bedroom. And if I sat in the hallway just right, I had this perfect view of the television that I could watch. Whatever my parents were watching, as long as I was quiet, they had no idea. Mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry. And that was my routine. I would be sent to bed, and I never would actually go to bed. And then I would stay up, watch TV. And then I remember one particular night, I was up, and I wasn't out of my bedroom yet, but I heard my parents fighting, which was, was, was unique because I, didn't, I don't remember hearing them or seeing them fight a lot. And this one really stuck with me because this night, I heard my mom yelling at my dad, and I heard her saying that she wanted a divorce. And that was something that they didn't plan and I didn't plan. It was completely unexpected. And so what do you do? What do you do when all of your plans get thrown out of the window? What do you do when, when something like that, unexpected, happens to you? I'll tell you what I did. I was nine and I was furious. I was mad at the entire world and I was gonna let everybody know in fact, I went through elementary school and I left a trail of wounded people. I was so mean, verbally abusive to teachers. They couldn't wait till I moved on to junior high. And those teachers in junior high couldn't wait till they got rid of me and off to high school. In fact, in elementary school, I spent more time missing out on recess than I did playing with my friends. I was mad. I was angry. It festered and led to bitterness and anger and rebellion. And we've all had things like that happen to us. 
but unexpected events can be interpreted a lot of different ways. You know, if you've been waiting and hoping and planning and praying to get pregnant and then years and years and years go by and all of a sudden you're pregnant, you're celebrating that. You're excited. You're telling the whole world, everybody is cheering and applauding that. But if you're a teenager and all of a sudden you find out you're pregnant, you may experience some different emotions. It might be fear, worry. You might be really concerned as to what is going to happen, who is going to say what about you. And the reality is, unexpected events happen to us all the time. The question is, what do you do with those events? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of the context. You see this uh, angel, Gabriel, comes to an older couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. And Zachariah and Elizabeth are older. They have no children. They are that couple that have been hoping and wanting children and just haven't. And this angel comes to Zachariah and says, hey, you and your wife, you're going to have a baby. But Zechariah doesn't believe, and he, he doubts this. And because he doubts, the angel says, you know what? Because you're doubting, because you don't believe, I'm going to make it so you don't have the ability to speak until this baby is born. That baby will be John the Baptist. He'll be the cousin of Jesus. That's all the background of what's happening. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, back in the first century when you were engaged, it was a pretty big deal. I mean, it was a, it was a bigger deal than it is now. In fact, it was so strong they used a different term called betrothal, and it, it carried the weight of marriage. It was like engagement on steroids. You weren't married, but it was so strong that if you broke that engagement, you needed to file for a divorce. It was that strong. You wouldn't have been living together, but it would carry the same weight as a marriage. And many young girls would have been betrothed or engaged even as young as 12 years old. We have no idea how old Mary is, but it's very likely she was a middle school student. And all of a sudden, a man appears in her house, an angel, someone she's never met before. That's kind of weird, right? It's, it's got to be startling to, to find somebody that you don't know in your house and they begin talking to you. And I don't know if, if she knew it was an angel. I don't know if he was glowing. I have no idea what he looked like. But she's probably freaking out, right? The other thing is, it says that Joseph is a descendant of King David. That's really interesting because all the Israelites were waiting for and longing for a descendant to come from King David. In fact, David is told that one day one of his descendants will be a king and will sit on the throne forever. And so when Luke tells us this and the readers read that, they're sitting on the edge of their seats waiting to hear what's going to happen next. 
All of this sets the stage for what's about to happen. Take a look at what the angel says. Verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You found favor. Literally, the grace of God is right on you. It has nothing to do with who your family is. It has nothing to do with your character or the things you've done or the things that you haven't done. But God's grace is all over you. Don't be afraid. I mean, if I was a junior high girl, I'd be worried, right? I'd be worried for a lot of reasons if I was a junior high girl. But all of a sudden, there's somebody else that she doesn't know in her house telling her some incredible things. I would imagine she would be afraid. I would imagine she would be overwhelmed. I would imagine she's, she's perplexed and she's confused and she has lots of questions. And all of a sudden, wait, you're telling me God has favor with me? Why are you here? But did you know that you can be confused, disturbed, and worried and still have the favor of God on you? Did you know you could be confused, perplexed, disturbed, worried, and still know that God is with you? That's exactly what is happening here with Mary. Because Mary is human just like you and I. She has no idea what this next year is going to look like. But God does. And God is going to do something. And we can all agree that Mary had some unlikely events, right? I mean, these are pretty strange. First of all, angels don't just show up to anybody. They were messengers, but it's not like the Amazon delivery guy just shows up, drops off your package, and you're sitting on the porch, and now you start up a conversation. Like, this, doesn't, this does not happen as often as you might think. So that's pretty strange. Next, she has special favor and special grace from God. And he says, I'm going to be with you. God is going to be with you. All of that is sort of strange. It's, it's unique. But it's going to get even a little stranger. Listen to this. Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. His name literally is going to be Yahweh saves or God saves. Verse 32. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestors, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. I mean, those are incredible things. Gabriel has just dropped a bomb on this young girl. Hey, hey, junior high girl, guess what? You're going to be pregnant. You're going to have a boy. His name is going to be Jesus. He's going to be the king. He's going to rule forever. Have a good day. Wait, what? I got a whole list of questions here. Can you walk me through this? I mean, what are the chances of that? What are the chances of a woman having a baby without a man being involved? One in a thousand? Not a chance. One in a million? Nope. 
One in a billion? Not even close. One in a trillion? It's impossible. Even with science, a man is involved somehow. This is incredible. You're, you're going to give birth to this baby. It's going to be the Messiah, the Messiah you've been waiting for for hundreds of years, and he is going to be great. He's going to be the king. He's going to rule over Israel. And they were waiting for this because Israel at this point has been underneath the Roman Empire and they've been oppressed for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so they've been longing for this. Mary knows that the Messiah is coming. And all of a sudden, she's going to be the mom and he's going to be the savior of the world. He's a descendant of King David that will rule and his kingdom will never end. This is all incredible. But Mary has at least one question, right? Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she was conceived. She has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. I want you to grab onto that phrase. Hold on to that as we walk through this sermon. She isn't surprised the Messiah is coming. She isn't surprised that he is going to rule and reign forever. She isn't surprised that he's going to be great, but she is surprised that she's going to be the mom of that Messiah. And she just wants to know, hey, how is this all going to happen? Because like, like he and I, we haven't even held hands. Like there's not been like any premarital interdigitation. Like I, I don't know how all this works, but and somehow the Holy Spirit is creatively, miraculously bringing about that child within her. And she is wondering, like, whoa, 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 wait, this wasn't part of my plan at all. So what do you do when life brings an, an unexpected turn or twist in your life? When all of your plans for that week or that month or that year just get chucked right out the window... How do you respond to that? How do you respond when life gets turned upside down? I know when I see things happen in my life and I wonder, okay, how is this going to get resolved? How is this going to get fixed? What, what's going to come about this? Because right now this looks impossible. I start to lose hope. Maybe it's because I'm a little pessimistic. Maybe it's because I, I look at the odds and I see the probability. I go, this, this can't happen. I don't know how this is going to happen. There's no way this is going to work out. Maybe you had a business like that. You launched this business and all of a sudden it ran into COVID and it didn't come back. Maybe you lost your job and you thought by now you'd have another job or a better job and you didn't. Maybe you, you thought, you hoped, hey, this Thanksgiving, the family's going to be together and it's just going to be 
better, or this Christmas, everything's going to come together, or, or maybe you thought, you know what, I'd be married by now, or I'd have kids by now, or you know what, my marriage would be stronger by now, and you're feeling hopeless, or discouraged, or down, and Mary has this crazy, unexpected thing happen to her, and she has hope. We often expect life to be up and to the right, just getting better and better and better. But the reality is, you and I, we can't control those events that happen to us, can we? I try to teach my kids that. You can't control what happens to you today or tomorrow. But here's the one thing you and I can control, how we respond. That's the one thing we get to do we can trust God with unlikely events because his word never fails. That's amazing. But notice how Mary responds to all of this. Verse 38, Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. She has incredible faith. She has questions, but she has incredible faith. She knows that, that nothing, with God, nothing can stop what is going to happen. She knows that, that with God, nothing is impossible. But she has hope, right? And she knows that people are going to talk about her, right? Mary, you know people are going to talk about you. Mary, you know they're not going to believe you. Mary, you know they're going to say terrible things about you. Mary, you know that your fiancé is probably going to leave you. You know, Mary, that your reputation is going to be mud. And she knew all of that. She knew people would talk. She knew people would spread rumors. She knew that the chances of anybody believing the truth were slim. And she knew very well her husband future husband might leave her. But Mary says, I'm a servant. I'm the servant, right? Mary had unlikely, go ahead, go forward. Mary had unlikely response to God's plan. She says, I'm, I'm a servant, right? She wanted what God wanted, even when she was confused, disturbed, or afraid, Right? I'm a servant, but here's the thing. We all know that things, things go well and we, we love God. It's easy to trust him, but when things don't go quite our way, it becomes incredibly difficult. And her response is amazing. I'm a servant. Go back to verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. Literally what she's saying is, your will be done, God, not mine. Whatever you want, I am going to be your humble servant. And she chooses a, a completely different posture with her hands open and saying, okay, whatever you're going to do, God, I am your servant. I wouldn't have scripted it this way. I wouldn't have come up with this plan in fact, this has totally spun everything out of control, but your will be done, not mine. I am your 
servant. I am a woman claimed by God, willingly submitting to you and to your plan. May everything you have said come true because she believes you can trust that God's word will never fail. This is amazing because people would have thought she had committed adultery. People would have thought that she had cheated on Joseph. People would have thought all of those things and they would have thought, hey, you should be put to death. In fact, in the first century, you could have been put to death for that. He could have broken up with her, filed for a divorce and totally ruined everything. Leon Morris says this, Mary could not be sure that she would not have to suffer, perhaps even die. But she recognized the will of God and accepted it. Life will bring you events that are unexpected. Life will bring you events that you didn't plan for that are impossible. But what if we totally just change our posture and we say, you know what? God, I'm your servant. Let your will be done, not mine. So how do we, how do, we do all of this? What does it look like? Here's the way, some application, right? Write down one to three things that are difficult to trust God with. Just write them down. You could put them in your phone, type them up on your computer or a notebook or a scrap piece of paper, but just, just write them down. What's one to three things that you're like, you know what? This has got me so worked up, so worried. I just don't understand this. I'm, I'm challenged with this. I don't know. I don't get it. Just write them down. And then number two, write out a prayer and trusting that to God. But Tim, I don't know if I have the right words. I'm not sure I know what to say. That's okay. God is not interested in you having the right words to say. Start where you're at. Just be honest. Say, God, this is difficult. I don't really get this. Why is this happening? And then write it out. Hey, help me to entrust this to you. I'm, I'm casting all of my cares, all of my anxieties. I'm just giving it to you. Take it. And I'll say write out a prayer because it slows you down. It causes you, forces you to think about what you're saying and to be intentional. There's nothing magical about writing out a prayer. But at least I've found that process to be helpful. To think through what am I saying and how do I want to communicate that to God? And lastly, take on a posture of let your will be done. Let your will be done. As we think about communion, I want to challenge you with that posture idea of, of taking on a new posture. If you didn't get one of these communion cups, uh, we have some in the back. We can get one of these to you. And I just want to be really clear about what communion is and what it is not. Communion is for those who have decided to follow Jesus. They've asked Jesus to be their forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. If you've never done that, feel free to sit back, watch, listen, and feel free not to participate. Taking communion will not add anything to your salvation. Taking communion does not get you in 
to heaven. Simply a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. And so once a month, we take communion to remember just that. And I want you to think about your posture. In John chapter 8, we read about a woman who was caught in adultery. A group of men bring this woman to Jesus and they say, Jesus, look at what she did. Look at her. What are you going to do? And they all got rocks in their hands. They're ready to just stone her to death. Jesus says, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again, began writing in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, dropping the rocks on the ground, beginning with the oldest until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, hey, where's all your accusers? It all disappeared. Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And that's how God sees you. If you've asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, he looks at you and he says, there's no one to condemn you. He doesn't condemn you. You're free. Your sin is washed away. And that's the posture we ought to have as we enter into communion. And so Jesus is with the disciples in the upper room and they're celebrating the Passover. And as they're celebrating, they're having this meal and he takes out some bread, he takes out some wine. And this is what he says. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks... He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. And so the bread or the cracker symbolizes Jesus' body that was broken and beaten on your behalf. And the juice symbolizes the blood that was shed and spilled and covers all of your sins. And so while they're in this upper room, verse 27 says, then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. God in heaven, We are thankful that we can come together and celebrate communion. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for the grace that you showed this young girl, Mary. And we recognize that life brings all sorts of events, some expected, some unexpected, some big, some small, some seem really crazy and ridiculous and We are sure that you are in charge and your word never fails. But we need help. Would you help us this week to simply cultivate a posture of saying, your will be done, not mine. 
Help us to entrust all of these life's events to you. Let us respond well as we prepare our hearts, not only for the rest of the day, but for Christmas. Would you let us fix our eyes on Jesus? In Christ's name we pray, amen.